religion that God our Father finds as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. If I could just for a moment say thank you. Thank you to uh, First Baptist Church in Decatur, Alabama who supports the Alabama Baptist Children's Homes in a big way and we appreciate that support. They say thank you to individuals in this room who support the Children's Home financially with your prayer support uh, and in many other ways on our campus. And then also to say a personal thank you to Blake um, for his leadership, not only here at the church, but also um, uh, he serves on our board. And Blake has been a tremendous encouragement to me personally and to the Children's Home. So just to say thank you uh, right out of the gate for that. And then also the obvious uh, gratitude that Christy and I feel towards this church um, to say thank you for um, you know, it's been said that, that uh, great churches make great ministers, and I believe that's true. It's not true. The reverse of that is not true. Great churches do make great ministers, and so thank you for your investment in our family, um, not only for Christy and I and for um, helping us get started in ministry, uh, learning how to raise a family, um, praying for our children. Who could have imagined uh, in April of uh, what year was that? 1997, right over here at Decatur General Hospital, that uh, that little baby would um, end up here at First Baptist Decatur. It thrills our hearts that um, Caroline and Seth are here. We've prayed along with you for many years that God would bring a life partner to our children. We've reserved uh, a spot at our family table, I like to say, and we didn't know who was going to fill that spot, but we are uh, tremendously blessed uh, that uh, God has brought Seth into uh, our lives, and we thank you for your investment uh, in them. I, I cannot tell you how that thrills uh, a dad's heart, so thank you uh, for that. Blessings abound. Uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, First Baptist Church Decatur, and uh, my, my old friend Jeff Davis, uh, I say old friend Jeff Davis, sent me a text this morning early, and he said, don't forget, there's never been a bad short sermon. So, uh, so we'll... <laughs> We'll dive in. And he said, I speak for all of the rest of these fine folks. So um, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, so uh, do you remember, and I'm sure this scene has played out at your house uh, as it has uh, our house many times where I would go away on a trip and uh, I would come back home. And as if I've been gone for several days, you know, I, I can't wait to see Christy, of course, and I can't wait to see Christopher and Caroline. And so I'm excited to see them, and I pull in the driveway, and I got an armload of stuff, and you come to the door, and you sort of kick the door open, and you hear those feet coming, right? Here they come, here they come, and they grab you around the legs, and boy, they're so excited, and you feel so good, and then comes the question, right? What did you yeah, what did you bring me? What did you bring me? What did you bring me? And so once you unload the little trinkets that you bought at the airport because you forgot to get something back at the <laughs> place, you unload that stuff, and then things kind of settle down, and you realize, yeah, they were excited to see you, but they really wanted to know, what did you bring us, right? What did you bring us? Is our relationship with the Lord like that sometimes? Do we, do we come to the Lord saying, what, what are you going to give me today? And maybe God is saying, I brought you me. I brought you me. See, in, in God's word, when we look at the miracles of Jesus, for example, most of the time, God is showing us, not that, not that we can see the miracle for the miracle itself, 
to be healed, to have something to eat. No, these miracles are signs. They're signs. And they're pointing us to who? To Jesus. Jesus is the sign. And who is Jesus pointing us to? To God the Father. It's a sign pointing us to God. So if you'll look in your uh, order of worship there, you should have a a little outline. I, I told Blake this morning, I usually quote my friend Buddy Champion when I pull these out and I say that if you can follow my train of thought, that is not a compliment to you. So I would recommend that you use this little outline. On the back, you'll see information about our open house uh, on the Decatur campus. We would love to have you come confessionally. uh, My first introduction to the children's home was years ago when Susan Loveless served on the board for the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, and she would come stand at every staff member's door in the office and not say, I'd like for you to come to the open house. She would say, you are coming to the open house, aren't you? Uh, And so that was my first introduction to the Children's Home. So it's a great opportunity for you to encourage the folks on our campus and also uh, see a little bit more about what we do. So if you are able to stand, I would invite you to stand with me now as we read publicly God's Word, just in honor of His Word. If you're able to stand, I'd invite you. And we're in John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1 of John chapter 6. I'm going to read, and you, uh, you follow along as I read. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed Him because they saw the miraculous signs He had performed on the sick. Verse 3, then Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Holy Father, we thank you for your timeless truth. Lord, would you now apply this truth to every humbled heart? We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So this, uh, this story, this, this account uh, is found in all four Gospels. The only miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus that is found in all four of the Gospels. So I think there's some very important things that we can learn from this, uh, this beautiful, incredible story. First, uh, we're going we're gonna to ask a, a series of questions, four questions. The first question that we're going to pose is, who was in the crowd And why were they following Jesus? Who was in the crowd? And why were they following Jesus? Well, these were people who were sick. We know this from the text. They were sick. They were desperate. They were hungry. And some were just flat curious. There were people who were sick. There were people who were desperate. There were people who were hungry. And there were people who were curious. How do we know this? Well, if we look at a chronological uh, list 
of the earthly ministry of Jesus, this is what people had seen so far in the life of Jesus. They had seen water turn to wine. They had seen an official son who was healed. They had seen an evil spirit driven out. They had seen the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, a miraculous catch of fish, a leper cleansed, a paralyzed man forgived, forgiven and healed. They had seen a withered uh, man's hand, a hand of, on, a, on a man that was withered. They had seen that healed. And it was on the Sabbath that Jesus did that. They saw a widow's son raised from the dead, the stormy sea calm, demons cast into a herd of pigs, the woman who was healed from the issue of blood, they saw Jairus' daughter who was raised from the dead, Talitha Kum. Jesus said, little girl, arise. They saw blind men healed, mute, able to speak. And in John chapter 5, right before this text, they saw a 38-year invalid who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. This man was made to walk. So yes, these people were sick. They were desperate. They were hungry. And some were there just because they were curious. Look back at the text in verse 2. Chapter 6, verse 2, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So why were they following him? They were following him because why? Because they had seen the miraculous signs. They had seen the miraculous signs. They weren't necessarily there for their faith. Boy, wouldn't it be great if they had all come because they had faith in Jesus? That's not why they were there. They were there for the benefits. They had come, in, a, in essence, they had come for dinner and a show. They had come for dinner and a show to see Jesus. And the, the second question that we're going to ask, how did Jesus respond to this? How did Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond? Jesus, well, first, look at verse 3. He stopped for the people. What does verse 3 say? Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and did what? Sat down. It says he sat down with his disciples. He stopped for the people. Now, because there are so many people in this room who know me well, uh, I have to tell you, this one is a really hard one for me to stop. I was at, uh, had the privilege of serving at First Baptist Church in Montgomery for 12 years. First Baptist Montgomery is a downtown church located between the county jailhouse and the federal courthouse. There, there, are, uh, there are no neighborhoods around that. It's an asphalt garden, we call it, downtown Montgomery. So on many occasions, I would come out of the church, go to my car, or go from my car into the church, and there would be people there who were in great need, great need of food, uh, some who were drug addicts, all sorts of, we, we were right there in the middle of the need. And confessionally, I will tell you that for me, after a long Sunday, walking out to my car, most everybody's gone, I would gladly hand that person $20. I would gladly give that person food, but please don't ask me for my time my time, right? It's hard to stop, isn't it? We're busy people. I think it's one of Satan's greatest tools in our culture. We're so busy. I'm not sure what we're busy doing except looking at our phones a lot of the time, but we're busy, aren't we? Isn't that the, the classic response? How you been doing? What's going on? Well, I've been busy, right? Busy, busy doing what? It's hard to stop. And Jesus gives us a different example here. Jesus sat down, it says. He stopped for the people. And then he focused on the Father. He focused on the Father. If you look at verse 4, the Jewish Passover feast was near. Jesus was preparing. He was focusing on the Father in the celebration of the Passover. And who's the focus? The focus is God. Just makes me ask this question, where's my focus today? In this moment, where is my focus? Is my focus on God? 
If you, if you look at the history of the celebration of the Passover, even to today, there's a thread of redemption, interesting thread of redemption. And they don't necessarily qualify redemption in the same way you or I as believers would, but there's a thread of redemption that runs through the Passover. And, and Christ was stopping there, stopping with the people, sitting down and focusing on the Father. And then finally, he tested his disciples. Look at verse 5. This gets really interesting. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy enough bread for these people to eat? Verse 6, he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. He was testing them. He was testing them. Look at, look at verse 7. Philip answered, eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, here's a boy with five small, small barley loaves and two fish. He had the right idea, but how far? How far will they go among so many? How did, how did Philip do on the pop quiz? How did Philip do? Jesus is, is presenting a little pop quiz here. How did Philip do? Hmm. How did Andrew, did he do any better? Well, here's a boy with some lunch, but I'm not sure it can feed this many people. How did they do in our lives? How do we do when a problem comes? How, what's our reaction when a problem comes our way? I know for me, sometimes I get focused on the problem. And I think sometimes God might be saying in a very simple way, this is a little test I've just got you in a little school desk here today, Chip, to give you this little problem to see how you can do with this test. And, and, and I have to ask myself, what does my report card look like in these pop quizzes that the Lord is giving to me with these problems, these tests? How do I respond? Do I respond in fear or do I respond in faith? On many occasions, and I'm sure there are people in this room who I have called or, or uh, visited with or texted, when people walk through difficult times, I will often text them very simply Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19. One of my go-to verses, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. My God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Instead of telling, uh, instead of telling God how big our problem is, sometimes I think I need to tell my problem how big my God is. Yeah. Yeah, let's go on. This, the third question, what is the true miracle? What is the true miracle? It seems obvious, doesn't it? In verses 10 and following, we, we see the true miracle there. The true miracle is the feeding of the 5,000, right? That's, the, that's what we call this story, the feeding of the 5,000. So the true miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. Well, with women and children, we're told this could have been more than 20,000 people that were fed. But notice what, notice that there's something really slight in here that I think is very powerful in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Look what it says. Four words, here is a boy. Here is a boy. And they got this big problem. And the response is from Andrew. He says, here is a boy. So I've wondered, maybe we should call this story the miracle of the boy. Instead of the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the boy. Would God really use a young boy to do this great miracle? And think about this. The 5,000 men, that didn't, even, that didn't even count. So the women and children weren't even counted here. So what does that tell us? Did anybody even recognize that this little boy was in the crowd? Anyone beside Jesus? Did anybody recognize that this little boy had the potential? His little lunch had that kind of potential? See, there's another lesson. In the eyes of Jesus, everybody counts. Nobody's left out. Everyone counts. No matter how insignificant they may feel. Talk about unlikely people. 
The Bible is a who's who of unlikely misfits that God used. Here's a few. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was an old man. Moses stuttered. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a shepherd boy who went on to be an adulterer and a murderer. Job went bankrupt, lost everything he had. Jonah was a man who directly disobeyed God by running away. Matthew was a tax collector. The Samaritan woman was a divorced adulterer. Martha was a worrier. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples were fishermen who had one simple assignment to pray, and they failed the assignment. Paul was Saul, who was a Pharisee who persecuted and killed Christians. And finally, Jesus was a baby with an unwed mother born in a feed trough, crucified on a criminal's cross. What about me? What about you? You think God could use us? Do you think so? Could he use you? Could he use me? Did anyone in the crowd or any of these disciples think that this little boy in a little basket of food could provide an illustration to frame one of the most powerful sermons that Jesus would preach? And further, do we know which little boy or which little girl, or which assignment, or which circumstance in our lives God might be preparing to use. What about you? Who is he using? Who does he want to use? Remember that what might seem insignificant in the eyes of the world, God wants to use to transform a life and build his kingdom here on earth. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a deacon. Maybe it's a choir member. Maybe it's driving the go bus. Maybe it's preparing food for children. Maybe it's collecting eyeglasses for children in Haiti. Maybe it's going on a mission expedition. Maybe it's sharing a smile at the rock desk. Maybe it's helping out with Wednesday night supper. Maybe it's a high school student who went out of their way last week to invite a shy kid to sit with them at lunch. Maybe it's those right now, this moment, who are over in the preschool area sharing Christ in a very tangible way, Christ and apple juice and crackers, in a very tangible way with preschool children. Maybe it's something as insignificant as that. I sure am thankful for the people in this room who did that for my children. Mm. Here's a boy. Here's a girl. Here's a high school student. Here's a teacher. Here's a doctor. Here's a custodian. Here's an engineer. Here's a stay-at-home mom. Here's a grandparent. Here is a, you fill in the blank. Like this little boy seemingly insignificant people in the eyes of the world could likely be God's choice servants. Yet we know this story is not about a boy, is it? No, this story is about more than a boy. Christ absolutely did the impossible through an unremarkable kid in, the very, in this very large crowd, but the true miracle, the true miracle is Jesus because the true miracle of Jesus is a sign pointing us to God. The true miracle is Jesus, the sign pointing us to God. In verse 14, it's referred to, this miracle is recorded as a miraculous sign. And what do signs do? Signs point us to something or someone. They point us towards something. And Jesus here is giving us a sign that he himself is the bread of heaven. Not only that he could satisfy the physical appetite of this crowd, but he is the bread of heaven. The word became flesh and we get to see his glory. I heard John Piper say that it's like the sun, it's shining and we see these beams of light coming down and we tend to get focused on the result. We focus on the fact that the plant will grow, I'll get a suntan, whatever it is, we're focusing on the result of that. When he said our eyes need to follow those beams up to the true source of the sun, which is the sun. We follow the beams of light. 
So in John chapter one, the word became flesh. And guess what? We get to see his glory here on earth. We see glimpses of it. I'm afraid Satan has so distracted us in our busy culture that we miss these glimpses of God's glory that we could see and run our eyes up the beams so that then we could see Christ. Let me move on quickly. Um, I tend to focus on the product instead of the miracle, the maker of the miracle, the sustenance instead of the savior. And like the noonday sun, we need to focus on the source of the light. Later in verse six, Jesus makes an incredible declaration in verse 35 in this great sermon. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He believes in me will never go thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. The people knew their stomachs were empty, but Jesus knew that their souls were empty. He knew that it was way more than physical bread that they needed. Jesus said, just like, just like that dad who came home, Jesus said, I brought you me. I am the bread of life. Final question, the fourth question, what was the reaction? What was the reaction? They recognized his divine power, but they wanted it their way. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who's come into the world. They recognized him. This is a prophet. But then verse 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again. Yeah. They thought it was Burger King. They wanted to have it their way. No, no, that, that's not the way this works. They recognized the divine power, but they wanted it their way. And the reason for that, they were seeking him because he was useful, not because he was their treasure. They were seeking him because he was useful, not because he was the treasure. In verse 26, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. They were seeking him because he was useful. He's giving us an illustration here of the ephemeral, the temporary versus the eternal. In verse 27, he says, don't work for food that spoils, the food that endures to eternal life, which is the son of man, and he will give you that. Yes, they, they were seeking him. Yes, they were seeking him for the wrong reason. And then finally, what are we to do? Look at verse 28 in the, in the text in chapter 6. Look at verse 28. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We are to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, the bread of life, the true bread of life. Believe in Jesus. And that's exactly what drives our mission at the Alabama Baptist Children's Homes. We have homes for children uh, on our campuses in Decatur, in Oxford, in Dothan, in Mobile. These are short and long-term placements. Some children stay with us for a short time, some for a long time. We have 250 foster homes across the state of Alabama. Last year, we served 570 children in our campus and foster homes. Last year, 26 children were adopted out of foster care. 124 were reunited with family members. Nine of our kids are in college. We had four children who graduated, or four students who graduated last year with no debt, I might add, thanks to the generosity of our donors. We're able to provide an education for these children who otherwise would not have had that opportunity. We have family care homes in Gardendale, Alabaster, and Mobile. These are homeless mothers who come to us with their children. We're kind of trying to meet their need at the front end to keep their children out of foster care, and we're seeing great success in that. 108 moms in our family care homes last year. 
We have 44 Pathways Counseling locations where we offer all kinds of counseling from marriage and family to counseling children. Um, we have 24 counselors, so a lot of them do a lot of driving. As you can see that map, they're going from office to office. There are 6,000 children at any given time in foster care in the state of Alabama. Now let that sink in for just a minute. 6,000 children this morning who are in foster care in Alabama. They're telling us now that 11 children a day are entering foster care. 11 children a day. This is not sustainable. If that problem continues to get worse, I don't know the answer. This is not good. Um, Our culture is is at a place where we we have a desperate problem here with these children entering foster care. We take care of about 10% of that 6,000. But my question is, what happens to the other 90%? Where do they sleep? Are they in a gospel-centered home? Are they in a home that will tell them about the love of Jesus? The problems seem overwhelming. We meet children's physical needs. We meet financial needs. We meet emotional needs. We meet intellectual needs. But we also understand that their greatest need, just like the people on that mountainside, is to be connected to a Savior who loves them. They need a sign. They need to follow that beam of light up to the source, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. Circle back to verse 9 where we saw those four words, here is a boy. Here is a boy. We see foster parents and house parents every day like Andrew, and they're saying, here's a boy who has anger issues. Here is a girl who is acting out and being rebellious Yet Jesus took that little boy's lunch and he fed a bunch. He's taking that little girl's pain and he can turn it into her spiritual gain. We get to see the miraculous in the mundane every day at the children's home. I told you that last year we saw 26 children adopted out of foster care last year. And in a court proceeding, an adoption hearing, you will hear an attorney say something like this in the hearing. Do you understand that this child will have all the same rights, claims, and benefits as if they were naturally born to you? Do you understand that among those rights and benefits include being a full heir to you? You see the Mansell family there on the, on the screen. I met them at, at our Camp of Champions two years ago. They were fostering this little boy. Saya is his name. And they were really struggling. Saya had a lot of baggage. And God has used our counselors and our social workers and, and just worked in their home to a point that just a few weeks ago, the Mansells were able to adopt little Saya. Beautiful thing. That's a picture of them there in court. But do you see in that picture, do you see that, that that was me? That was you. Just like the people in that crowd, we were born spiritual orphans, weren't we? Hungry, sick, desperate, curious. In fact, it was even, even worse than that. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And then in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's us. That's me. That's you. Just recently, I'll close with this. Recently, um, Our development officers will will frequently call first-time donors to say thank you. So if someone gives to our ministry for the first time, they'll make phone calls. So one of our uh, development officers, Billy Shepard, he sat down with a list, and he was going through calling people, telling them thank you. 
So he got to a lady named Karen. And he called, uh, left her a message. And when he came back the next day, she wasn't there, he left a voicemail. When, when he came back the next day, there was a voicemail on his phone that was like nothing we, quite, quite like nothing any of us have ever heard uh, before. And I, instead of trying to explain it to you, I wanted you to hear this mom relaying back after he called to thank her for a gift. This was the voicemail. I did want to call you back and let you know, um, thank you very much, and you're very welcome for the donation that I gave this month. It is not nearly enough. I uh, did want to share a portion of my story with you. My children, two of my, my two children, my son um, was 11 and my daughter was 14 months old, and they both were um, at the Alabama Baptist Children's Home in Mobile. One was in foster care, the 14-month-old, and my son, the 11-year-old, was at the um, boys' home. And I'll never, ever be able to give enough to tell you how how grateful and thankful I am for what that ministry did for my children and for me. So uh, we are doing well now, and I do want to thank you and let you know that at any any time that I can support you guys and what you're doing, I, I will give whatever I can because um, you you took care of my children and in a very difficult time for me, and I just wanted to say thank you to you. So when Billy called. Karen back the next day after this left this voicemail, he called her back and tearfully she told him it was a very difficult time in her life. She was in a treatment facility. She had to drop her children off and she said uh, it, it, she really struggled with a lot of guilt, um, a lot of shame. And she said one day when it was okay for her to have visitors, they brought her son to see her there at the treatment facility. And she said there was a turning point for her when her son... Uh, she was so glad to see him. He was glad to see her. They hugged. But a few minutes into the visit, he said, Mom, I'm really glad I got to come. But the boys are having a football game back at the campus. Is it okay if I, if I leave a little early to get back so I don't miss the football game? And Karen said tearfully, I knew in that moment that God had my children right where they needed to be. They were exposed to the love of Jesus. I'm really excited to tell you that Karen's doing great. She's a paralegal. She's got a great steady job. She's got her children, and now she's donating money to the Alabama Baptist Church. Is that beautiful or what? Uh, we've just seen that go full circle. Really, really, really neat. Yeah. We all have the same story, just like Karen. We were, we were lost, sinners, orphans, who were rescued by a loving Savior. And now we have the holy privilege to share the bread of life with other people. It's been said that evangelism is just one beggar telling the other beggars where the free bread is located. One beggar telling the other beggars where the free bread is located. That's all it is. That's me. That's you. And in our work at the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, we have a daily reminder that just like many of these children, we were orphans. We were orphans who have been adopted into the forever family of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our redeeming Savior and Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you rescued us. Lord, we, we were orphaned. We were dead in our transgression, in our sin, and you saw fit to bring eternal and abundant life to us. Lord, thank you for the beautiful power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we never 
even in the small things, Lord, may we not deny that power. Help us not live in fear, but to live in faith, to trust you all the way. Lord, and I pray that if there's someone here today who doesn't know that power, who's not connected to the power source, to the eternal bread of life, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. How we thank you. There is our hearts cannot express the gratitude for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in that power that we say thank you. Amen.